On today's episode of the Closet Champion Podcast, I will break down all the action from the 2021 Royal Rumble and what it could potentially mean for this year's WrestleMania. It will also be the beginning of my multi-part list where I rank every Royal Rumble match in history. Will either of the 2021 Royal Rumbles be in the bottom 10? Let's all find out together. This is the Closet Champion Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Closet Champion Podcast. I am your host, the reigning, rarely defending, highly disputed champion of wrestling podcasts, Mike Mueller. We're a few days removed from the 2021 Royal Rumble, and I'm already counting down the days until next year's event. And while hibernating for the next 363 days sounds pretty wonderful, science hasn't quite figured out a way for humans to do it. Get on it, science. Bears got it figured out. Why can't we? Well, since we can't sleep for a year, we might as well talk about what happened on Sunday. The 2021 Royal Rumble event began with the pre-show match of Charlotte and Asuka versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Nia and Shayna regained their women's tag team titles in a match where neither outcome really made a whole lot of sense to me. Lacey Evans came down and distracted Charlotte multiple times before finally hitting her with some brass knucks that uh, Grandpa Rick gave to Lacey. You know, I knew Lacey was going to come down and shenanigans would ensue, but I really thought the experience of Charlotte and Asuka would be able to overcome the tomfoolery that happened, but alas, that's not what went down. Uh, Instead, we just erased the last month of women's tag team wrestling, act like it never happened. Charlotte and Asuka will almost certainly stop teaming up, and the champs are going to be the same ones who dropped the belts in the first place. It's a total reset. It's clear that the only reason that Charlotte and Asuka won the titles in the first place was just to make Charlotte's return feel special, and that's fine, but it sort of feels like a waste to me. At least the last month of women's tag team wrestling has just been useless. Uh, Following that, we had Goldberg and Drew McIntyre. I was elated that this was going on first, just so it could be brushed aside and I'd have plenty of time to cleanse my palate from another Goldberg title reign, but... Wait a minute, what's this? Goldberg came back and didn't get the title right away? How is that possible? Well, it's possible for several reasons. I'm going to give you a couple. One, it's possible because it was the right call to make. This was the right decision. Nobody thought Goldberg should win that match, but many people thought that it was inevitable. And it's because it's what the WWE does. However, this time they got it right. They bring in the old guy to get the new champ over. It's so crazy. It's almost like it's this wildly proven method that's worked for decades now, but somehow we're just figuring out apparently with Goldberg. But the bigger reason that Drew McIntyre held on to his title on Sunday was because I picked against him. And when I go back on my picks from 2020, almost every single time I picked Drew McIntyre matches, I picked them wrong. I had that streak of 
three straight pay-per-views where I went perfect. But other than that, I'm pretty sure I've called every single Drew match wrong. And I generally call Goldberg matches wrong, too. I called The Fiend uh, to beat Goldberg, and we know that didn't happen. Uh, And I picked... Oh, no, I did pick Braun Strowman to beat Goldberg at WrestleMania. So, okay, I guess I got that one right. But for the most part, those guys really screw up my average. So them going against each other, it seemed inevitable that I was going to blow that one. But I was very happy to be wrong. Super, super happy to be wrong. Uh, And I hope that it's the last time that we see Goldberg for a while. Like, possibly ever. That would be fantastic. Next on the card was Sasha Banks and Carmella. And I was really pleasantly surprised by this match. You know, the bar was pretty low because I thought their TLC match was just kind of whatever. We're definitely closing the chapter on this and moving Sasha toward her WrestleMania opponent, who I will get to in just a minute. But I wanted to say in regard to this match, I don't think Sasha Banks gets enough credit for her selling ability. There was a few really spotty moments in the match that came off looking pretty weak. The contact wasn't there, uh, but somehow Sasha still sold it just the same. She looked great. She's no Kurt Hennig or Dolph Ziggler, um, but she's very, very impressive, and I don't think she gets enough credit for her selling ability. Ricochet is another one that I don't think gets enough credit for his selling ability. Up next, we had the Women's Royal Rumble match that was won by Bianca Belair, coming from the number three spot, which I think is very cool, very homage to Ric Flair. I thought this match was really solid. Uh, I thought it was definitely the best women's Royal Rumble match so far. I'd have to give it a uh, 27, 2017. I'd have to give 2020 another look because I know I really enjoyed that one. But this I thought was the best one so far. Uh, I was right that Rhea Ripley was going to make her return here. Not that it was a huge surprise. A lot of people were calling for it. But I was wrong in who they were going to give the ultimate push to. It went to Bianca. Uh, that's fine. I think it's good. I'm quite certain that she's going to be challenging Sasha Banks, and I think those two are going to have one hell of a WrestleMania match. But I got to say, I'm pretty bummed out for Rhea Ripley. She's still super young, so it's not like she you know, can't recover. But I do wonder what she does next. What does the immediate future hold for Rhea Ripley? I mean, do they put her back down in NXT? Does she move to Raw or SmackDown and start a rivalry with someone? Personally, I'd love to see her start a rivalry with Asuka, or for her to start her rivalry back up with Charlotte. Ideally, I'd like that. I think there's still some meat on that bone. I've seen a lot of people calling for her to start feuding with Nia Jax slash Shayna Baszler, and I can see it. You know, they're they're big, tough women, and Rhea Ripley's a big, tough woman. But I don't want to see it happen because Nia Jax equals injury, and we don't need Rhea Ripley to be injured right now. It's kind of the last thing that we need. A few notes from this rumble... Uh, I want to say Billy Kay is better in this role than anything that she has ever done in the past or likely will do in the future. She was made to be this sort of comedic character. You can't even really call her a heel or a face. She's just entertainment. She's just a humor spot. And she killed it this year. I loved her whole bit of trying to like get people to team up. She's got the resume still going on. And if you think about it, it's a pretty good offer. It's one less person that you have to worry about right away. And then she gets on commentary because she didn't want to get in the match, which is just perfect for her character. I thought she was so great. It was so good to see her. Uh, I was super happy to see Naomi back. 
and put in a great performance at the Rumble. Naomi, to me, seems to be kind of the forgotten talent in the women's division. I think she's the sixth best female on the roster behind the four horsewomen and Alexa Bliss. But things get moved around and people get injured often enough that I personally feel she should have a lot more accolades to her name at this point in her career. Hopefully they start her in a like a mid-card feud. They put her in a tag team with Lana and they won the triple threat on Raw. So they're going to be facing Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, I assume, at the next pay-per-view at Elimination Chamber. I don't expect them to win that. If they don't win that, I'd kind of like to see her back over on SmackDown because I think that she could have a really good run with either Carmella or Bailey. I would, on personally, I would rather see her feud with Bailey. Uh, and speaking of Bailey, the second that I found out that she had Michael Cole's name shaved into the back of her head, I knew she had a zero percent chance to win the Royal Rumble. I loved it. I thought it was great. But let me tell you why. And this is important. This doesn't just go for crazy hair. This goes for like a weird, wacky uh, costume, anything that's out of the normal. When someone presents themselves in a way that's not standard for their character, like Bailey doesn't always have people's names shaved in her head. I knew she wasn't going to win the Rumble because a lot of pictures get taken. This will go down in history. Like they know that photos of this event are going to be seen forever in at least in wrestling history, however long that lasts. So you're not going to want to have something really bizarre like Michael Cole's name shaved in the back of your head for all those pictures to last for eternity. It just doesn't make sense. Good luck explaining that to your grandchildren. Other than that, the returning legends were pretty weak this year. Jillian Hall, Victoria, Tori Wilson again. Alicia Fox had a fun moment. She won the 24-7 championship. That was kind of entertaining. I don't know if it's the first or the second time she's won it, but either way, glad to see her get some gold. But even with that, it just didn't really seem like the star power was there. You know, there wasn't Lita and Trish and all the names that really get people popping, which (laughs) didn't really matter because there was no people to pop. Moving on, Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns just... (laughs) That match, dude, those guys just beat the ever-living piss out of each other, and I gotta tell you, it was glorious. We all knew it was going to end with Roman winning, but damn, it was still fun as hell. This match, to me, further drives home my belief that KO is the best in-ring storyteller working today. He's so good. It's all the little things that he does that generally get glossed over when looking at a match. It's a, If it's not fresh in your mind, you forget about it pretty quick, but it adds such depth and such flavor to it. Like when he was kind of taunting Roman about his face bleeding. Like, whose blood is that, Roman? It's not my blood. It's not my blood. Whose blood is that? I thought it was so good. Um, (laughs) And I got to say, I laughed out loud when uh, Sammy Guevara got hit with the golf cart in AEW by Matt Hardy. I laughed and laughed and laughed. When Kevin Owens got hit by Roman Reigns with the golf cart, I thought, holy shit, I think he's really dead. Both were incredibly high-impact moments, but there was... It's so interesting how the exact same spot getting hit with golf cart, based on the way that you present it, it looks totally different and it elicits a totally different reaction from the audience. That's fascinating to me. And this one was super, super serious when he got hit like that. It was really out of nowhere. We didn't see the golf cart in the shot until bam, he was hit. They just did a really, really good job with that one. 
all the spots in the match were great. Uh, except, I mean, Paul Heyman fumbling with the keys to uncuff Reigns was pretty awkward. This match, at the end of the day, this match proved why both of these guys deserve to be at the very top of the card. And I really do hope, by the way, that KO goes back down to NXT after this. I think NXT needs a few established names. Kevin Owens is one of the few success stories that have come from NXT and gone up to the main roster. He's had multiple titles. He's been in a lot of main events. I think that would inject a good amount of energy. Plus, there's a lot of names down in NXT that I would love to see him work with. Tell me you wouldn't want to see Kevin Owens versus Johnny Gargano. Like, that would be awesome. But for now, we're kind of thinking this is sort of the end of Kevin Owens' run. He had, I think, three shots at Roman, and it didn't happen. So we're going to see where this goes next. It could go for Roman the way of Edge because Edge was the winner of the Men's Royal Rumble. And to quote my friend Mike Dinaj, I'm mad that I can't be mad about that. You know, I was totally fine with it, with Edge winning. But I really, really wanted this to be Daniel Bryan's time. I thought that this was going to be like his last great moment. You know, his finally winning the Royal Rumble. The one thing that's really been missing from his career. But Daniel Bryan did what Daniel Bryan does. And that's break your goddamn heart in the Royal Rumble year after year after year. Seth Rollins throws out Daniel Bryan, and all of a sudden, I'm a deflated balloon, man. All the energy just rushes out of me until I'm just laying on the ground all sad and wilted. And I really wish that I could say that example was a bigger exaggeration than it really was. That's pretty much exactly what happened. I was so heartbroken. The end sequence, to me, with Orton uh, coming back in and Edge... It, it wasn't it wasn't special to me really I just it was okay we all knew Orton was coming back like nobody forgot about Randy Orton we were all waiting for him to come back we knew it was going to happen and he did but his dirty little tactics didn't pay off here and Edge ended up winning which is great he ran the gauntlet 1 to 30 being able to do so without spending 75% of the match in the back like Randy Orton did It's impressive for anybody to do that. It's even more impressive for a 47-year-old. The return spot with Christian I thought was cool, I guess. Um, I was never really a big Christian fan, so perhaps the comeback didn't really mean as much to me as it did to most people. But it was still cool to see him in there and doing the spots with Edge. It was still fun. Uh, None of the predicted big names made a comeback, which I thought was interesting. Um, For either Rumble, you know, no... Becky or Ronda for the Women's Rumble, no Brock Lesnar, no Rock, no Undertaker, Uh, sort of all those rumored names that were kind of being floated around, nothing really came to fruition. But it was still fine. They said that neither of the Rumbles were bad. You know, they they were good. They told good stories. We had two baby faces win, an established veteran and the new up and comer. It was fine. The whole pay-per-view was fine it was a good rumble but i don't think it's gonna go down as a top 10 rumble by any means Um, but let's take a look a little ahead into the future and see what this means for wrestlemania i already said i'm quite sure that we're gonna get bianca belair and sasha banks so i'm not gonna really delve into other possibilities for that i think that's pretty much a lock edge winning is interesting though 
And I think most people assume he's going to face Roman Reigns and do the classic good guy versus bad guy. You're on top for the wrong reasons and I'm going to knock you off your throne for the good of everybody and put some, you know, integrity back into that title, yada, yada, yada. That's fine. We can do that. It'll be a good story. But personally, I think a better story is Edge facing Drew McIntyre. And I don't want him to do a heel turn, nothing like that. Either one of them. Keep them both babyface. Just tell a simple story of Edge saying, you know, Drew, I believe you are the best in the company right now. I think you're better than Roman Reigns. And I need to prove myself. Not to you, not to the fans, not to the legends who tried before me and failed like Goldberg. But I need to prove myself to me. I need to prove to myself that I still have what it takes and to be on top. I've been to the top of the mountain and I need to get back. So while you are an incredible champion and a great face for this company, I respect the hell out of you, but I'm coming for that title because I got to prove to myself that I am the best. Otherwise, why am I back? I didn't come back to be in the mid card. I didn't come back to not be the champion. So I got to do it and I got to I got to leap over the highest hurdle that I can set for myself and that's you. And I think that's a great story. Plus that frees us up at least for the possibility of Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Uh although I'm not going to lock that in quite yet. We're still a long ways away. We'll deal with that when we get a little bit closer to WrestleMania season. But for now, I want to take this opportunity to start my ranking of every single Royal Rumble match that there's been. I spent a lot of time about, uh, what, each Rumble, you figure, lasts about an hour. I got 39 on this list. I spent about 39 hours of my life watching Royal Rumbles, and I did it all for you guys. I did it for the fans. It's, It's no need to thank me. It's a labor of love. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and rank all of them, because why not? I'm going to do a stars scale, zero to five stars, with the quarters, you know, the Dave Dave Meltzer tried and true system. There's no basis for the stars other than just my own personal feelings. It's not like if something happens, that automatically is worth half a star. If something else happens, that's automatically worth one star. There's not a mathematical formula. It's just a gut feeling on how the match played out and how entertained I was by it, essentially. So I'm not going to do all of it because I don't want this to be a four-hour podcast. I'm trying really hard to keep my podcast time down for you guys uh, because that's the the common theme that I've heard is a a lot of my podcasts run a little bit long. So we're going to break this up. We're going to do it probably in four parts, or maybe I'll do a a longer one with you know the top 20. But for now, we're going to get through the worst of the worst, Counting down from 39 to 30, this is the first segment of every Royal Rumble ranked. And I'm going to give you a title for the Rumble, what I've sort of labeled it, the star ranking, the winner, and the MVP. Because oftentimes, those are two different people. Starting out with the worst, number 39 is the greatest Royal Rumble, and I am calling this false advertising. This should have opened the event. The Greatest Royal Rumble was like a five and a half hour show and having a 50 man rumble at the end of a five and a half hour show with a lot of lower card talent is a huge mistake. 
you know, they're in Saudi Arabia, so people pop for the entrances. But literally by the time the wrestlers hit the ring, the crowd is already back to sitting on their hands. They're tired. It's been a long day. And there's only so much energy they're going to get by seeing Sin Cara come down to the ring. Even besides that, this whole match was pretty difficult to watch. I was bored almost the entire time. The only thing you have to see from this match, the only reason why this match should be seen by anybody is because of Titus O'Neil's entrance when he bites it and accidentally slides directly under the ring. It is maybe the funniest off-script moment in the history of WWE, and it's the only thing that prevented this Royal Rumble from getting negative stars. I'm still calling it the worst one, even with that hilarious moment. And listening to Corey Graves crack up when when that happens is I'm laughing thinking about it man that's not forced laughter but I'm giving this thing zero stars uh the winner Braun Strowman from the number 41 spot because remember we had 50 in this thing uh but the MVP was Titus O'Neil on that that slide man uh Titus O'Neil MVP at number 39 number 38 the second worst Royal Rumble of all time I'm giving to 2015 I'm calling this one I've made a huge mistake. Literally, the only good thing about this rumble is the fact that Curtis Axel is still technically a legal entrant, and the fact that that's been a running joke for going on six years now is hilarious. But this match is horrible for so many reasons. The obvious reasons, the crowd was into it until Daniel Bryan got unceremoniously thrown out very, very early on, and after that point, it was straight up ugly. Uh, do yourself a favor. Skip this rumble. You don't need to see it. One moment's going to break your heart, and the rest of it's just going to annoy the piss out of you. The commentary sucks. The storyline sucks. The finish sucks. You know things are bad when The Rock can be in the ring at the end, and the audience is still booing. Like This is not 1997 Nation of Domination Rock. <laughs> this is established, super. everybody loves The Rock. And people still boot him out of the building. It was that bad. I'm also giving this one zero stars just because it pisses me off so much. Winner, Roman Reigns from the number 19 spot. MVP of this one, I'm going to say, was the audience for expressing how we all felt, pretty much. Number 37 on the list is from 1999. I'm dubbing this Vince Russo's Dumpster Fire. This match gets shit on pretty much by everybody, and for a good reason. Sam Roberts defended it uh, the other earlier this month, and... I, I agree with Sam on a lot. I do not agree with Sam on this. I think this match sucks. However, what I do find interesting is when people shit on this match, the first thing that tends to come up is the fact that Vince McMahon won. And that, to me, was among the least offensive things that happened during this dumpster fire of a show. The match actually starts off all right. The crowd is white hot for Austin McMahon in the beginning, as they should be. But very quickly after that, things just break down. Austin chases McMahon through the crowd and into a restroom where he gets beat up. And then we don't see either of them for like 10 minutes. And then we see Austin get wheeled out on a stretcher, which is dumb for multiple reasons. We've seen him take way worse beatings than that. We know he's coming back. And it doesn't explain McMahon's disappearance. Why was McMahon gone for another 10 minutes? And then he goes back on commentary, which actually I thought was kind of funny. Another huge strike against this rumble is the fact that nobody besides Vince McMahon or Steve Austin, was positioned to win this thing. The Ministry eliminates and then abducts, quote-unquote, Mabel, and The Undertaker puts him in the back of a hearse, 
and Mabel is only there because he beat up a headbanger in the back and then just took his spot. How is that legal? By the way, why, why do you get the spot? Because you beat up the person that was supposed to be in there. That's stupid. Where was where was Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe to stop that malarkey? Uh, this whole group is just nothing but jobbers and mid-carters throughout the entire Rumble. I think Triple H is the only somewhat big name in this thing besides Austin and McMahon. And even that is a bit of a stretch at the time. Triple H wouldn't have his first WWF title for another seven months. So he was still on his way up for the first time. Kane eliminated five people in like a minute, which is a cool spot. It happens a lot. We always like it. But then he takes himself out to chase down an orderly who was trying to take him to an insane asylum. So what the hell is that? There's so there's so many what was the point of that moments in this match that it's just a giant clusterfuck. It's I will give it credit, it's fast paced and the crowd stays into it. The energy never really dips even when Ken Shamrock is alone in the ring and Vince McMahon is on commentary. Um this rumble along with several others that will be on this list raises a question to me and that's why would anybody choose to enter the ring until number 30 comes out anyway there's no punishment for just hanging out outside the ring the whole time the refs don't force you into the ring you don't lose your spot if you're not in the ring by the time the next person comes out unless someone physically threw me in the ring if i was number five i would sit there for 50 minutes and wait you know for it to for number 30 to come out then i'd get in the ring because then you got to win the thing but it just it doesn't make sense and this rumble it encapsulates every that doesn't make sense moment that a royal rumble match could have and it's all in one just a total clusterfuck dumpster fire whatever you want to call it i just i don't know i just hate all of it but i'm giving it a half a star because i i would rather watch it than the two previously mentioned ones the winner, Mr. McMahon, at the number two spot. MVP of this one, you got to give it to Austin at number one. He was great. And speaking of Austin, number 36 on this list is from the year before, 1998, which I'm dubbing Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Everybody. The problem with building a rumble completely around one person is you're sort of in a no-win situation. If that person wins, your whole audience is going to go, yeah, duh, of course they won. And if they don't win... Your whole audience is going to go, okay, what the hell was the point of that? Outside of Steve Austin, the big names in this Rumble were the Intercontinental Champion, The Rock, who had already fought previously in the night, and Mick Foley three times, entering as Cactus Jack, Mankind, and Dude Love. Which was a fun spot, but the logic of it is non-existent. I mean, you think of it, if Mick Foley had three entries in the Royal Rumble... What would have happened if Cactus Jack was still in by the time Mankind was supposed to come out? Best not to think about that. Outside of that, we really have nobody of note. Uh, the factions that were in the match, Nation of Domination, Los Periclas, uh Disciples of Apocalypse, were all kind of just competing on the lower midcard with each other. Vader was already way over the hill, and by this time the bloom was off the rose for people like Ahmed Johnson, Mark Merrow, Jeff Jarrett, quote of the night is definitely um i think it was uh jr who says mark henry is handling the big johnson so that definitely gets line of the night uh i will say the pop for stone cold never gets old 
And thank God, because the crowd was dead before Austin hit the ring, which makes sense. They were all there to see Austin. And aside from the moments of Austin eliminating people, the crowd was dead even after Austin hit, shortly after Austin hit the ring until we got to the final three. One thing I will say earlier, and it's not part of the Rumble, but it's in one of the backstage segments that was leading up to the Rumble. Uh, the Nation of Domination breaks down a door to get into Stone Cold's dressing room, what they think is Stone Cold. And it's just an empty chair with one of the Stone Cold foam middle fingers that they used to sell, like the number one fingers, but it was Austin, so it was a middle finger. And Kama, who would later on go on to be the godfather, <laughs> goes and like rips it up, but he struggles with it for a minute. And it's hilarious to me to see someone the size of Kama struggle to rip a foam finger. That made me laugh. Again, accidental humor at the Rumble. Something you don't necessarily want, but eh, it happens. Uh, I give this one a half a star as well. It's sort of the same reason. It just, I, it just didn't do anything for me. I thought the match was boring pretty much the whole way throughout until Austin hit the ring. Austin is the winner and the MVP. Uh, came in at number 24. Austin had the most eliminations, the biggest pop. The entire storyline was based around him, and he won. Rock had a hell of a performance, but it's got to be Austin for MVP. Number 35 on the list is 1993. I'm dubbing this one The Real Tradition Begins. Because from here on out, we'd see what the Royal Rumble would truly be for the next 28 years and counting. The winner of this Royal Rumble would be the first one to get a title shot at WrestleMania, and that's the way it's been ever since. So in that regard, it is historic. But re-watching this match, I gotta say, it was fairly boring. 1993 as a whole suffered in WWE from a serious lack of threats at the very top, and that translated to this Royal Rumble. When you got down to the nitty-gritty, there weren't a whole lot of threats to actually win. One of the few spots that you had going for you was Ric Flair and Mr. Perfect and their feud going on. You had Flair who ran the marathon the year prior from winning from number three all the way going to the end. And then this year coming in at number one. Well, Rick, or, uh, Mr. Perfect came in, I want to say around number nine and eliminated him. And it was a great pop. It was awesome. But why don't you have Mr. Perfect come out really late so you can tell the story of is Ric Flair going to repeat this marathon performance and do it again? You got Bobby Heenan there, so you've got this built-in comedy gold of Heenan rooting for Flair. I don't get why you shortchange that and have Flair go out so early because from that point forward, there's really not a whole lot to get excited about. And that's because most of the talent that you did have at the time was in the undercard. Shawn Michaels fought Marty Jannetty for the Intercontinental title. Bret Hart fought Razor Ramon for the world title. So a lot of the names that you were going to start to push in the years to come, they were there, but they weren't in the match. I mean, instead you had Bob Backlund and Carlos Colon. So there you go. Yokozuna goes on to win this match. The end spot is kind of interesting where Savage hits a flying elbow onto Yokozuna and then goes for a pin and Yokozuna like throws him from a seated position or from a laying position out of the ring. That was kind of a cool spot. But once you got past Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair, there was really no one else to root for in this thing besides Randy Savage and Yokozuna. So the fact that it came down to them was 
fitting, but just didn't do much to move me. Uh, Yoko wins from the number 27 spot. The MVP of this, I'll give to Bob Backlund. He had a great run. It was his return. He would stick around and actually be a pretty big part of 1994. Uh, He had a great performance, but other than that, there's really not a whole lot that you're missing from this Rumble. Number 34 on the list, I'm given to 2000, the 2000 Royal Rumble. I'm labeling it a bunch of jabronis and the great one. So here's what we got going for 2000. We got Headbanger Mosh coming in at number three with his furry traffic cone titties. That was fun. And honestly, probably the least offensive part of his entire outfit. The Too Cool dance scene is iconic, and if you don't like a Too Cool dance scene, then I don't think you like pro wrestling. Weirdly enough, Gangrel, the big boss man, and Test had the longest uh, stays in the Rumble, if that goes to tell you anything about the pacing of this thing. I certainly wouldn't have called that. Uh, Rikishi totally carries the first half of this Rumble, and the thing about the Attitude Era, I think a lot of people tend to forget is that the storylines were great. The talent at the top of the card was great. The talent underneath, mm, not so much. I'd say it's noticeably better in 2000 than it was in 98 or 99, but still, there was a lot of weak, weak talent on the undercard of the 2000 WWE roster, WWF at the time. Uh, You know, we get The Rock, we get Big Show, we get Kane, And then, really, I'd say the next highest profile name is Rikishi or X-Pac. I thought the final two with Rock and Big Show was solid, um, but because of the lack of lower mid-card talent, I think this Rumble is actually pretty decidedly boring. Uh, It's amazing how much they would pull it all together by 2001, but they weren't quite there yet. Again, this is another one where I think the undercard of the Royal Rumble was really great, but the match itself is the only thing that matters here. Not very good. I'm giving it one star. Oh, by the way, I gave 1993 uh, one star. I'm giving 2000 one and a quarter stars, and I'm saying the winner and MVP of this was definitely The Rock at number 22. Number 33 on the list, I got 2014. I'm labeling it Who Booked This Shit? Uh, Kofi's two saves were pretty awesome in this one. I'll give him that. Uh, It's rough watching this one knowing that it's Punk's last in-ring appearance with the company. He was such a good storyteller, man. Nobody stood out too much in the early part of this match. Uh, There were big pops for Dolph Ziggler. This was probably the most over Dolph Ziggler ever was. Uh, And the surprise of Diesel uh, was actually very welcome, and the crowd went nuts for it. So the early part of this rumble, I think, was pretty solid. But it's the middle section that happens in a lot of rumbles. Uh, but the middle section, I thought, really, really dragged. There was a nice pop for Sheamus's return. I really like Sheamus. I think he's one of the most valuable members of WWE. You can put him in any spot, and he's great. El Torito is in it. Uh, I love El Torito. I am an unapologetic El Torito mark, so that was fun. Again, though, the pacing of this match definitely lags in that middle section, the teens into the early 20s. There's a cute little JBL spot in there that was fun. But man, I gotta say, the writing for WWE, the storytelling writing for WWE in 2014 was so off the mark that they found a way to make a return entrance by Rey Mysterio, something that the crowd hated and absolutely outright booed. 
this is probably the moment where they realized this is January of 2014. This is the moment they realized they had to go with Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, and they eventually got it right. But man, they missed a golden opportunity to start it here. I would have had Daniel Bryan win this Rumble. And another thing that happens all the time, all the time in Royal Rumbles, and I don't understand it, is why do we allow eliminated wrestlers or people that aren't competing in the match to go and eliminate someone else? Why does that count? That's bullshit to me. And as my own personal form of spite, because like I said, it happens a lot, anytime that spot happens in a rumble, I'm automatically deducting a half star from its overall ranking. So take that, WWE. Uh, Batista wins this one at 28 with absolutely terrible booking. The MVP is Roman Reigns. It was the closest they ever got to getting Roman over as a babyface, and they somehow still managed to squash that. I give it one and a half stars. Probably would have given it two if there wasn't some bullshit interference and a, a illegitimate elimination, I'm going to call it. Number 32 on the list, I'm giving it 2016. I'm dubbing it the lesser of two evils. Uh, the storyline going into this was that the world title would be on the line in the Rumble for the first time since 1992. However, unlike in 92, there was a reigning defending champion, pun intended, as the person in question is Roman Reigns. Now, this was a very interesting point. They really want Roman to be over as this huge baby face that takes down the authority. The problem is the audience hates Roman Reigns in 2016, and they also hate the authority. So we're left in a weird situation where we don't know who to root for. What stood out to me the most was that there's very few entrants who the audience is really behind. One of them was AJ Styles, who did not come up through the NXT system, so his uh, entry at number three was really, truly a surprise. Uh, R-Truth's spot with the ladder was hilarious, as R-Truth is always hilarious. There were some weird groups in 2016 that I totally forgot. Uh, League of Nations, Social Outcasts, they were fun. Overall, the lack of logic, star power, and legit threats to win this thing. I mean, you had Reigns, Lesnar, who actually got the pop of the night. Triple H is a surprise entrant. Those are fine, but other than that, this thing really suffered from a lack of star power. Triple H coming in at number 30 was a nice surprise given the story being told, but this is essentially a 60-minute promo for Reigns versus Triple H at WrestleMania. Everything else seemed pretty inconsequential. I thought it was a nice move having Roman Reigns get eliminated second to last. Uh, that way you have this moment with uh, Triple H and Dean Ambrose. And you get this l quick little brief, oh, maybe Ambrose is actually going to do it. Maybe he'll pull it off. But, of course, WWE in the 2010s finds a way to screw that up, too. I'm giving this one one and a half stars as well. Triple H is your winner at number 30. The MVP, once again, is Roman Reigns, this time from the number one spot. And finally, for this segment of every Royal Rumble ranked, the number 31 spot, I've got 1991 Royal Rumble. I'm calling it Winning for America. This is 1991, so we're still a year away from the Royal Rumble having real significant stakes. But it makes sense to have Hogan win this and go on to face Sergeant Slaughter at WrestleMania as opposed to 1990, which I think should have been won by Mr. Perfect or maybe the Ultimate Warrior, but more likely Mr. Perfect. Uh, this was a perfect spot for Hogan to win 
at the end. Some notes that I have from this Royal Rumble is, man, Dino Bravo sucks. Like, I just, oh, I hate Dino Bravo. This match had a very, very slow beginning. It really dragged through the first, uh, through most of it, to be honest with you. Bret Hart came out to a great pop at number one, uh, but then mid-carters just littered the first third of this match until Jake Roberts comes in at number nine. And I will say, say whatever you want about the Bushwhackers, but they were so over for their entire WWE career. The fans fucking loved them, and I've got nothing but respect for Luke and Butch. This is another rumble, as a lot of these lower rumbles are. It's another rumble that suffers from a lack of credible threats. I mean, realistically, you only have Hulk Hogan, Earthquake, Mr. Perfect, who was Intercontinental Champion at the time, and maybe the British Bulldog and Undertaker as outside shots. British Bulldog was was toying with that upper mid-card, and Undertaker was definitely over, but he was still so new to the scene that I don't think his winning was a realistic possibility in 1991. Positive that I will say is they really let the ring fill up. So you got a lot of guys putting in a lot of time. So I give them respect. A lot of guys that had 30, 40 minute rumbles. That was pretty cool. However, this is one of the more forgotten rumbles in history. Uh, There's no big showdown. I guess you could say Hogan and Earthquake at Final Two, but Hogan had already beat Earthquake at SummerSlam. It's not like 89 when Hogan faced off with Savage or 90 when he faced off with Ultimate Warrior. Like I said, very few legit threats, no real stakes. And when a Royal Rumble is remembered for something on the lower card, other than the Royal Rumble match itself, it's not a good sign for a Royal Rumble. Another one I'm giving one and a half stars. The winner and MVP of this is Hulk Hogan coming in at number 24. He had the most eliminations, the biggest pop. It actually made sense for him to win this year. And he actually put in a respectable amount of time with 21 minutes. So he didn't just come in there for five minutes, kick some ass and pose. So I got to give him credit where it's due. All right, that's going to wrap up the first segment of every Royal Rumble ranked. I want to thank you guys as always. For listening, hit me up on Facebook and Twitter at Closet Champ. Until next time, I am your reigning, rarely defending, highly disputed champion of wrestling podcasts. I'm going to take the count out loss and get out of here with my belt. Good night, everybody.